before we get going. Um, last week I offered a reminder, and I'd like to offer it again. If everybody can just pull their bulletins out, this is going to be very difficult. It takes a little bit of muscle. And what I'm going to ask you to do is just rip that apart. Thank you. I'd like to hear those. I want to hear them. Go ahead. Because what we're doing is, we, we get a lot of people who visit with us, and we want to connect with them, and, and sometimes they want to connect more with us. And um, we, we've just asked that each person, even if you just jot your name on it, you're here every week, you have your, your chair, um, there, there's an imprint of your, of your rear side in your chair, and you're in that chair every single week. We still want you to tear this out and, and to go ahead and throw that in the offering plate um, because it, it helps show other people what they should do. When people are walking into a new place, they look at you and say, um, what do we do? This person looks like they go here. What do they do? And I should do the same thing. So if you rip that out, you write your name on it, you throw it in, um, people will start to get it. So thank you so much for doing that. Um, so as we get going, Sherry Burdick asked me a second ago, she said, hey, I thought you were doing a series on money and today's Mother's Day. And, and so I, I understand there's this, I'm doing both. There's this idea that um, we can't talk about both. Oh, but we are. We're going to get into it. So if you have your Bibles with me, flip to uh, Psalm chapter 50, and we're going to uh, get to that in a second. Psalm chapter 50, go ahead and put your thumb in there. Um, it might be up on the screen. I'm not too sure. Uh, but go ahead and, and get those Bibles out. So I just want to give you a little bit of background. And then what we're going to do is we're going to talk about this notion of offering and giving and, and what God desires of us and, and how some amazing women of the Bible really exemplified that in our lives. Um, Anna Lee, the sermon is not that bad yet. It will get there. So we're in this series. We're teaching about money. We're teaching about what does Jesus desire of us in the use of money. And, and like I said last week, some of us believe that the Bible might be silent on it. Some of us believe that the Bible doesn't really say much about it, but really it's about 15% of the Bible. 15% of the verses, over 2,225 verses on money alone. So this idea of money is important. It's huge. And it's all through Scripture, and I think the reason why is because money is the only thing that Jesus talks about as another God in Scripture. It's the only thing. He talks about all kinds of other things, idols and, and, and false worship, and I just kicked something. False worship, and, and don't talk directly into the mic. All right. So Jesus talks about false worship and all kinds of other things, but money is the only one that he says is another God desiring our worship. And so we're going to look into that in the coming weeks, and we're going to sort of use that as the premise of our series. But today we're talking about generosity. Today that's what we're talking about. And uh, we're going to dig into this. So Psalm chapter 50, starting in verse 8, going through verse 14. I do not rebuke you for your sacrifices or your burnt offerings, which are ever before me. Then he says this, which I find amazing. I have no need of a bowl from your stall, or of goats from your pens, or even animals of the forest, or for every animal of the forest is mine, and even the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains and the creatures of the field are mine. If I were hungry, would I not tell you? For the world is mine and all that is in it. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Sacrifice thank offerings to God. Fulfill your vows to the Most High God. 
I love this because in the Old Testament, it, that's what it is. It, it, it's you, you take your bull, you take your goat, you take your, your dove, you take your grain, and you offer it up to God. And God is like, do you think I'm hungry? Is this why you're offering? Is this what offering has turned into? You think I'm hungry? Sort of like when the plate passes by you, oh, they must need money again. You know, it, do, you, do you give just because the church might need some money? Or do you give because you're literally thankful and grateful and as an act of worship that what God has done in your life? Moms, we're going to get to you. Trust me. But I love this. I'm not hungry. I don't need a bowl. I have the cattle on a thousand hills. I don't need it at all. And yet you want to continually give it to me and give it to me and give it to me because you think I might be hungry. That's not the case at all. Flip with me to Amos chapter 5. Now, the book of Amos is, um, people say Amos or Amos. I more naturally say Amos, even though it's wrong. Um, but, so I'm just going to keep saying it that way. Make you believe that that's how you should say it too. Why not? So, I think God wants more than just going through the motions. Back in, in Psalm chapter 50, one of the things he says is, instead, give me a thank offering. Thank me for something. Thanks has some foundation tied to it. Somebody did something for somebody, therefore you thank them. And so he's saying, don't just offer me this stuff and this empty sacrifice because you think I'm hungry. Offer me things because you're thankful. I love this verse in Amos chapter 5, and this is what giving can turn into. Um, Amos 5, verse 21, I hate I despise, and this is God talking to his people, by the way. I despise your religious feasts. I cannot stand your assemblies. What are we doing? We're being assembled in the Lord's name, right? I cannot stand your assemblies. Even though your burnt offerings, even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring a choice fellowship offering, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps, but let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-ending stream. This book, this, it's very interesting. It goes on the first, um, the first uh, almost all the chapters, but the first um, five chapters really talk about this judgment of Israel, who has gotten complacent, who is, um, in one part they say, oh, you cows of Bashan, talking about these women who gorged themselves on food and made their servants do all kinds of uh, things for them. He calls them cows. Not very politically correct. Um, But he was a prophet. Prophets can say stuff other people can't, right? And so God literally is saying to these people, your empty offerings, this stuff that you bring to me is meaningless because there's no thanks tied to it. There's no justice tied to it. There's no offering tied to it. There's no worship tied to your offering. It's just stuff. When you just bring me stuff, I I could care less because I own it all already. But when you bring it with this type of heart, when you bring it with this type of heart that, that says, God, I love you and thank you, that's worship. When you bring it out of obligation, that's when God says, your songs are awful, your assembled gatherings are terrible, quit doing your feasts and your festivals. It's this warning against empty religion, of just going through the motions. 
And I began to think, how many of us have regimented worship schedules? You, we should all be raising our hands. Sunday's at 10.30, right? Sunday's at 10.30 from, until 11.45, we worship God. But how many of us have worship schedules that, go, that include Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and stuff that we never even planned, and we're just worshiping God throughout the week? I mean, probably more very little of us, right? So as we get into this, flip with me to Luke chapter 21. We're going to look at some ladies that changed the paradigm of worship and giving. So Luke chapter 21, and Earl gave me some great history on this this morning that I didn't really necessarily read in the, in the commentary, so I'm going to use some of that, but uh, I'm going to cite good old Pastor Earl over here. So Luke chapter 21, verses uh, 1 through 4. As he looked up, Jesus saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. I tell you the truth, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all of the others. All of these people just gave out of their gifts and out of their wealth. But she gave out of her poverty and put in all that she had to live on. The woman approached God with her gift so radically different than some of these old the people in Amos and some of the, the people that God is proclaiming his judgment on. People who just floundered their money and said, oh, whatever, they were just wealthy and they just you know, had these, these feasts that were just lavish and they left the poor out. Feasts that, that, that took the poor and the beggars and put them outside of the city. And that's not what God wanted. God said, let justice roll down like a river. That's a real offering to me. But this woman comes in, and in the last two copper coins that she has, she throws it in the temple treasury, and there would have been a grate on the floor. And, and one of the things uh, Pastor Earl was saying this morning is that the rich, just like some people hire mourners, like in New Orleans, you could hire a mourner today, the rich would hire people that would cheer for them. And as they'd put their money in, these people that cheered for them would, would yay, yeah, you know, he just gave all this money. And so when Jesus looked up and saw this, he probably looked up because they were cheering. And this woman sneaks up to this grate on the floor, tosses in all she has, and goes away real quiet. And not only that, it was all that she had to live on. Sometimes giving requires faith. And to her, it was worship because it was done in faith. It was, okay, God, I trust you're going to provide for me. Not to say that we should all clear out our checkbooks or checking accounts today when the offering rolls by. That's not at all what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is this woman did it out of worship and out of faith and was commended by Jesus for it. I love that. Flip with me to John chapter 12. And we're going to look at a woman with uncommon adoration. Before we get there, please allow me to do a little bit of background. A couple of weeks ago, we did this series, or a few months ago now, we did this series just called I Am, and we looked at all the I Am statements of Jesus. One of the I Am statements of Jesus was, I am the resurrection and the life. So if you were here, pull up that little file, because I know you all memorized my sermons verbatim. Thank you, by the way. It's very honoring and flattering. I'm kidding. I know none of you do. Um, but I was telling my Sunday school class this morning that I value sarcasm, and, and I should probably stop, and they said, no, please don't. So I said, we'll just call it satire. 
So, John 11, Jesus makes this statement, I am the resurrection and the life. And the reason why he makes this statement is his friend Lazarus dies, and he's been dead for four days. And if you know anything about um, dying 2,000 years ago, is, is that it's, it's quite a bit different than it is today. Um, back then, there was no system, um, they didn't eat like Lay's potato chips or, or um, high fructose corn syrup or anything with preservatives in it. And, and actually, there's a decay right now that happens that um, it takes years and years and years for a body to decay. Then, it was over three days. And in four days, there would be flesh beginning to fall off the bone, and, and it would be bad. It would stink. Um, they, they would have to put some nard on the body to stop it from smelling, just a little bit like a teaspoon. And, and, um, and it was disgusting. It smelled. And they would put him behind a tomb to, to shield the smell and to bury him and out of respect for the dead. And Jesus showed up and said to his friend Lazarus, come out of the tomb. And, his friend, and just almost as a picture of what Jesus was about to do, his friend walked out of the tomb, totally alive. And Jesus had a friend there. Uh, well, Jesus had, um, there was a woman there that Jesus knew named Mary. Mary was Lazarus' sister. And so she witnessed this whole event. So they begin to have a dinner party. And where we get to today is John chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. And we have to remember these other verses because that's really our foundation, and we're going to get back to those. But John chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. Let me just go ahead and read uh, this whole story to you. Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So John is trying to remind us that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table at the table with him. Mary took out a pint of pure nard, and we joke about this all the time. I, I used this as a, in a sermon a couple of years back, and I can't get away from this North Dakota accent of saying, pure nard, you know? Don't you just imagine somebody from like Michigan or North Dakota would be like, oh, he just had his pint of pure nard, you know? Anyways. I took out a pint of pure nard, and now you hear it in your head, right? An expensive perfume. She poured it out on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who had later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor but because he was a thief, a keeper of the money bag. He used to help himself what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Jesus did not say this verse for us to not care about the poor, by the way. We still ought to care for the poor and have a mandate to do so, but that's not that would be taking this out of context. Anyways, verse 9. Meanwhile, a large crowd came out, came, I'm sorry. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came. Not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and putting their faith in him. So because of what Jesus did with Lazarus, 
Both of these guys were wanted men. The religious elite wanted to kill both of them because people were going and putting their faith in Jesus because they, they saw Lazarus up and walking around. They knew that that guy was dead and now that he's alive. So one of the things we read into this story is this massive interruption. You know, if you were um, a Jew and, and living during this time and having a dinner party because you're celebrating somebody's resurrection, that would be a pretty big deal. And we have to remember there's a separation between men and women. It you know, wasn't a society where a woman sat next to a table with a man and had this beautiful dinner together. I mean, it's not exactly that type of society. It's a different time. And so this, uh, well, first, actually, let me tell you a quick story about an interruption and what it does for a party. About a year ago, I was at my nephew's birthday party, and, and Emma was only about 19 months old, and, and I came late because I was at a board meeting here. So I came a little bit later, and everybody had just started to eat. So I, I came, um, I walked in, and it was one of those things, no one would have noticed me, but, if, you know, your kids always notice you. And, and Emma, you just hear her go, Daddy! And the whole party just stops, you know? And they just sort of, like, look, because they see this cute little girl yelling, Daddy. And then she goes, I love you! Like, super loud. And everybody collectively went, did what? Aw, right? I started out, I was like, aw. And it just interrupted everything. Everybody just stopped and turned. That's kind of the scene I imagine here. This woman lets her hair down, even just letting her hair down. That is so culturally not the thing to do. Everybody would have stopped and looked. And then she breaks a pint. I mean, for burial, they didn't even use a pint. Okay? When they say that they could, the smell went all through the house, I imagine it going through the neighbors' houses. They're like, oh, they're using nard again. You know? <laughs> the, she broke a pint and, and it went through the whole house. I imagine people having to go outside to talk because the smell was so unbearable of this nard. It was pure. She breaks it over him in this uncommon thing to do. I mean, imagine this picture here. Jesus is there sitting next to Lazarus, who he just gave life to. And she's the one thanking him, right? Shouldn't it be Lazarus? Shouldn't the guy who just raised from the dead, like, lavish offerings and thanks on Jesus? I would think so. Except it's this woman with this uncommon adoration who comes to Jesus and stops the party And out of the overflow of her heart, out of the thanks of what he has done for her, she does something beautiful and anoints him for his burial. I'm not exactly sure that she realized she was anointing him for his burial, but she did. A year's worth of wages just lavished on him. I think the application here is that sometimes people see our worship and they say, that's what your God is worth to you. A couple hours on a Sunday, a few bucks, maybe in some nicer clothes, that's what your God is worth to you. They see how we lead our lives, and they say, this is what your God is worth to you. I think that's what people see. And this woman, in Matthew 26, Jesus says, stories will be told, this account will be told for the rest of time because of what this woman did for me. She really showed what her Messiah was worth to her. Others, what others see 
in our adoration level is what they assume our God means to us. There's really no formula for this kind of worship. There's really no, we show up on 1030. I mean, if there was, it really wouldn't be worship. We'd be worshiping the formula, right? Um, there's really no, like, all right, we show up at 1030. We're going to plan to break this um, a year's worth of wages of nard onto Jesus' feet. We're going to then go get coffee and donuts, and then we're going to go take a nap. I mean, that's not exactly in their system of thinking. This woman just did it. I wonder where we lose the spontaneity in our worship. We worship here to celebrate as community, to train you to worship at home. To, to give you the tools to read the Bible at home. To give you the songs to sing at home. One of the things, that, and we're going to look at this, the Bible says about being generous, is that God gives you more so that you can be trained to be generous with it. And we're going to look at that in a couple minutes here. We want you to be generous at church so that you're generous at home. Like I said, there's no formula for this, but we tend to fake it well, right? Um, By the way, starting in June the 3rd, which is our first uh, uh, Sunday in June, we're going to do a seven-week series on the seven churches of Revelation. And it's a fascinating look into this book. And I'd say don't miss it. It's fascinating, and we're going to look into it. But we tend to fake devotion well. Revelation 3.1, Jesus says to the church in Sardis, I know your deeds, you have a reputation of being alive, but yet you are dead. Sometimes we tend to fake it. Revelation 2-4 says, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have testified to those who claim to be apostles and are not. You have found them false. You have persevered and have even endured hardships in my name, and you have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. You have done great theologically, and you know all the right things, but you've forgotten to love me. And that's what worship is, is showing your love for God. And I I mean, I've searched all through the Bible, and, and really, you see this the best in a couple of ladies who understand what it means to be thankful, who understand what it means to be generous with life. I was thinking of moms and, and, and moms being generous this last week, and I was thinking moms give up their entire life, almost their identity sometimes, to pour into a child and to raise them. Dads do too, but to a large extent it's the mother. To a large extent. I mean, you, there's stretch marks associated with this, Right? <laughs> I only get stretch marks from um, bodybuilding and and muscles. You guys could probably tell. I didn't want to share that with you today, but yeah, there's some stretch marks here because of muscle growth. Push-ups. Just joking around. (laughs) So, note to self, new microphone, don't laugh, makes a loud noise. Anyways, like we said, you've done great theologically. You know stuff about Jesus, and yet where's the heart? Where's the level of worship? This woman couldn't help. She saw what this guy did for her brother, and she just couldn't help herself. No one could stop her. It's not like she said to the other guys, hey, uh, what do you think if I just took this jar and broke it over Jesus? They probably would have said, stop. You're interrupting dinner. You're interrupting Jesus' dinner with Lazarus. It's too important. Don't do it. And yet not only did she do that, she took her hair and, and wiped it, wiped his feet down. 
in this intimate, beautiful thing. I mean, that is an offering. That is a gift. And she did this for her Savior who had given her so much. So moms tend to exemplify this. We'll talk about that more in a minute. Flip with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to talk about sowing generosity. And before I get into this, one of the things I even want to say is that you, if, you, if you watch TV, especially Christian TV, one of the things that you might hear is, is to, to sow your seed and to, and to give your money and stuff like that. And they say, you know, we want you to sow a $500 check to, to our ministry today and stuff like that. And um, one of the things they teach, and if they teach this, you should just turn the TV off, um, which on a lot of these cases, I'm sorry, but it tends to be the truth. It's one of the things they teach is that if you give, then God is going to bless you with so much money and that you give in order to receive money. And then they even have testimonies. I heard a testimony one time. I was paying rent, and I gave this $100, and now I'm paying a mortgage. In other words, now I'm in a lot of debt. Um, but, but, their, but their point is, I was, I was, and I heard somebody say this too, I was um, living week to week, and now I'm driving a Cadillac. Well, it's great if you drive a Cadillac. They're nice cars. But the, the point of giving isn't so that we will receive. But what they do is they take this verse out of 2 Corinthians, and they just butcher it apart. And it's absolutely wrong. And it says that Jesus exists for you, rather than for his own glory. It says that Jesus exists for your glory rather than for his. And that's not the case at all with prosperity gospel. And so if you hear that, if you have any questions about it, feel free to ask me. I think what they're doing is completely anti-Jesus. So 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 15. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. And so you hear this and you go, okay, I understand where they might get this idea. Each man should give what he has decided in his own heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. One of the reasons why we clap for our offering, right? And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, he has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Verse 10. Now he who supplies seeds to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of the seed and enlarge your harvest at the righteousness. This is talking about a storehouse giving, which we're not going to go into today because there's a lot tied into that to unpack that. But anyways, we'll talk about that. It's our perspective on giving here at this church. Um, And we'll talk about that. It's either next week or the week after. I've got to look at my outline. Anyways, um, the service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, men will praise God for their obedience, and that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ, and for your generosity in sharing them and with, and with them and everything else. And in their prayers for your hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace of God has, that God has given to you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. A couple of things I want to get at what he says here. He doesn't say that you, you sow, whatever you reap, you sow, or sow, you reap. He doesn't say that, um, that if you give a ton of money, you're going to get a lot of money. But what he says is if you begin to be generous with what you have, 
God will give you more to be generous with. Now, it doesn't exactly even say that either. That almost made it sound like if you give, God's going to give you. What God is saying is God, if giving generously trains you to be generous in the future with what you have. And so it's not that you get to pile up your own a massive wealth. God might bless you because he knows your heart of being generous and that he knows that will go out to the poor, to the church, to whatever, to God because of your thankful heart. Not at all is Paul writing in, in here to give and uh, you'll get a ton of money. I mean, that's not at all what Paul is saying. So I was thinking of this notion of generosity and in here, in 2 Corinthians 9, Paul is really talking about generosity. Paul is really talking about as, as you give generously, God will continue to give, give you opportunities to be even more generous. That's really what Paul is talking about here. And that's what Paul is talking about as the standard of the church. I mean, we look at 10%. I mean, that's, that's one of the things we teach. And by the way, um, if, you, if you can't do 10%, we encourage you to start at like 2%. Maybe even go to 3%, and then from there go to 4%, 5%, 6%, and then even go up to 10%. But we believe um, 10% is kind of the, the, the biblical standard. Our church tithes 11% back to our denomination. And that goes towards leadership development. That goes towards planting new churches. That goes towards a lot of things. It goes to increasing the community. So our church tithes. On top of that, we give to missions. On top of that, we give to benevolence. On top of that, I mean, so a good portion of our, of our income, over 11%, goes to missionaries, to all, all kinds of other things. Because our church ties, and we try to be generous to teach you to be generous. So one of the things I was thinking about with moms, and I think my mom has taught me this, and I think that I've seen other moms teach this, Moms teach generosity. Moms absolutely teach this. I mean, either I, I look at my wife and see how she teaches this to our kids when, when Emma and Lucy might want a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and it's like 8 p.m. or something like that, and we're like, oh, we just don't want to do that. But out of the love that she has for them, she just makes them a PB&J because they may not have eaten their dinner and they were going to get in trouble, but by the end of the day, they're just two, right? And they still need to eat, <laughs> Right? Bobby, is that true? You're kind of a medic, right? Kids need to eat? Okay, just making sure. Like I said before, they put their bodies through stress. Some of them give up their career dreams. Some of them give up their financial stress. And for what? To pour life into a child, to be so generous with their life. I mean, I think that's the ultimate lessons of moms. All the great moms out there are giving and pouring their lives into somebody else. And there's so many people who are so thankful for that. And so the question, Sherry, this is how I'm going to mix giving and Mother's Day. Is that moms really are this picture of generosity. And this woman, Mary, who had this uncommon adoration, knew that giving was out of worship. And that was, I just think that that was just her style. That's just the way that she lived in this world, was a generous, a thankful life. And I see moms that are so thankful for their kids that they pour everything into them. 
And I think the important thing, just as Mary has generations of people looking to her, you will have generations of people looking to you. Is that true, Lynn? Absolutely. You will have generations of people looking to you. So how will you highlight your life? How will you lead your life? Will you lead your life in worship to Jesus that that leads your kids that direction? Through generosity and through giving. I see it already in Emma and Lucy. Emma um, does teaches her to be generous with her time and her life and stuff like that. And, and we'll be at the, the, we go to the mall play area like on Fridays. We go to the mall play area and a little kid might cut in front of her on a slide. And she'll say, mommy, after his turn, my turn? And we say, yeah, absolutely. And she's like, okay. And she's okay with that. Which is amazing, because like I said, she's two. So, here's a couple things that I just want to challenge us with today. I want to wrap all this stuff up. If you're here today, and every week you're pulling out the check, and it is just painful. You rip out the check, and you're just angry that you write this amount, because your wife tells you you got to write it. Kidding. Don't give it. That's not an offering. That's not worship to God. And our treasurer is like, no, you can still. It's okay. We'll take it. We'll cash it. Which we will. But do it out of offering for what God has so freely given you. Out of the grace and the redemption of Christ because you were saved, because you were once dead, and now you were alive. That is why we give. Because God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He's not hungry. God doesn't need our money. He's got tons of it. He he invented it. He doesn't need it. And the question isn't, how much of his money will we give back to him, but how much of his money are we going to keep? Maybe here, number two, or number one, still number one, prepare in your heart and like 2 Corinthians 9 says, prepare in your heart in advance how much you'll give. Prayerfully consider that. We are going to take an offering a little bit. We, we, we recommend uh, 10%. But we will also want you, to this to be an act of worship for you. We don't want it to just be a, every week I'm putting in this money. If that's the case, then just don't do it. Number two, maybe you're here and you live a completely regimented life, including your worship time. And it's okay to have a schedule. It's okay to have order. It's absolutely okay. And I think God wants us to have some order in our life. But maybe you need to just practice. When you feel like, wow, I'm just so amazed at what God has done for me, maybe you just need to practice just worshiping right where you're at and leading a generous life. Maybe in your generous life it means paying for the person next to you at Starbucks. Maybe it means throwing some coins or some some paper money in in the guy's thing at the grocery store. That guy? The homeless vet guy? You know what I'm talking about. He's always there. Maybe that's what it means. Maybe it means just leading an even more generous life because by you leading a generous life in thanks to God, you have generations of people staring at you and wondering why it is what you do because they want to live just like you. You are an example right where you're at with your family, with your time, with your money, with everything. You're the example. 
I just want to thank moms for leading such generous lives. Not only do you give of your time, you give of your bodies. You give of your life. You, there's so many sacrifices moms make. Time to see friends. Some of that has to die for nap time. So much of what moms do is giving generously. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray that as you lead us in giving, God, that we would do so generously, not out of compulsion by me, not out of compulsion by anybody here, but out of your conviction, because you're the God who saved us. You're the God who redeemed us. God, I pray that we would give out of thanks, out of love. God, and as we think about Mary and what she did for you, that beautiful act, Lord, lead us into more times like that. Lord, that we can give just in a totally interrupted fashion. That we can give in a, in a time and a setting where it's just out of the outflow and the overflow of our heart that we just have to give, whether it's worship and singing, whether it's worship and study, whether it's worship and giving. God, lead us to those places to where we go to a little bit more of an unregimented time to worship you. God, we love you, and we can't help but thank you for all that you have done. In the name of Jesus, amen.